Okay, here comes another one of our fabulous uh, Q&A sessions, this one with Sir Michael Parkinson. So, Michael, first up, what was the last book you really, really enjoyed? Uh, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. Um, Pat Barker wrote three books, a regeneration series. I've always been fascinated by World War One. I. I had a granddad, my grandma, my mother's mother's husband, who was in World War One, survived it, except that he had a huge chunk of shrapnel in his shoulder. And he was a very silent man who never spoke about it at all. Although I tried to get him to talk, he wouldn't. But every Christmas he'd get this eggnog out and have a few of them, and then he'd come like that, he'd beckon me. And I would sit on his knee and he'd take my hand and he'd put it on this thing. I always remember this extraordinary feeling of this base metal there inside his skin, you know, and I could feel a rough edge on it too. And that. And he would never to explain it to, to anybody. He then he'd fall off the chair and we have to take him to bed and that sort of thing. So I never got a full explanation from him. But from that point on, I was always fascinated by what that war, by the horror of it, by the terror. My, two of my 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 mother's uh, one, her father, my mum's dad was killed in the war, and the uh, my granny's husband, the second one I'm talking about. He was just somebody that she met from hospital and is recuperating from his injury. So the, the Regeneration series is all about these two poets, uh, Wolfdoin and Sifu uh, Sassoon, and the work done by that extraordinary hospital in Scotland where, you know, they, were, they weren't cowards, they were actually damaged people, people with shell shock and that sort of thing. And all that history of, of all that fight against all the prejudice and the stupidity of that war and that era, brilliantly conceived by Pat Bang. I just thought the books were... I rang everybody I knew and said, you've got to read this book. So that was the last time, I think. Um, I can't think of another book that had that on me, I, apart from Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, which I got very early into. American uh, authors, Steinbeck, Hemingway, John Dos Passos, all the Faulkner, all those people. I read more of them than I did the, the English one, except for my lifelong passion for you will not be you will not be surprised to hear uh, uh, Evening War and, um, and Graham Greene. I still think War's book Scoop is the best book about journalism I've ever read, the funniest book. And I just read their books still and, and wonder at their, their style, their shape, their, their economy, all of that stuff. But totally, in my view, they're the, the inspirations of my love of literature. Um, the other book that, that curiously haunted me, and, and, and I did nothing about it, uh, about its subject, and that was Death in the Afternoon by Ernest Hemingway. I think I fell more in love with the notion of Hemingway as this kind of journalistic, tough guy uh, <laughs> than anything else. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful book, uh, but it's about an appalling subject, basically. But nonetheless, his essays about the guys who fought the bulls and the entire business fascinated me and, 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 and haunted me. And he was a man, too, that, you know, just generally speaking, I had this image in my life of him in my mind, rather, him liberating Paris, you know, in, uh, in a jeep and all that sort of stuff. So the idea of the journalistic adventurer was very clear in my mind, and that's really what I wanted to be. Do, is, is there a book you remember being read to you as a child? No. No? No. I, I, I read from a very early age um, by myself, so far as I can. I don't have a recollection of that at all. Nobody's reading me stories. I don't. Um and I, I think the first book that I ever remember reading 
was a book by a man called Malcolm Saville. And it was a story of two young teenagers. And it was very romantic. And that I remember that, Malcolm Saville. I can't remember the name of the book, so, but I remember couldn't get enough of those. Those are the first library books, so I really sort of, you know, I waited for the next edition to go and away I went. So, but no, I didn't. And, and I, I went very quickly from from childhood into teenage, into adulthood in my in my reading. Uh, because my mother was a great reader. My mum would take five uh, library books out a week and they were always so Victorian. I got Francis Parkinson, Keyes and Goldsworthy and people like that, but I'd read them. And so I had from a very early age a kind of a... Uh, uh, a mature view of, of 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 reading rather than a childish view. I think I missed out on the childish view. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a, a book that you would love to step inside of where the world that's been created by the author has been so wonderful you like this? I think it's a lovely question, man, actually. You could almost do a do a show about that, couldn't you? I mean, I think three men in a boat, if I think about it. I thought about it quite carefully. So I love that idyllic life that these guys represented, just three nice public school boys being to the same school together, <laughs> same regiment, all that, you know. And in a boat, I was going down the Thames, eh? I would get slightly drunk every night and reminiscing. I thought it would be wonderful to do. I would never do it. <laughs> I can't swim well enough. But, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, and, and I live on the Thames, so I have this romantic uh, love of the Thames and of the the places that are mentioned and the pubs that are mentioned and that sort of thing. I would have loved to have done that. Those seem to me to be, I'd still might do it, actually, if I find two other daft devils like me to actually go on it. But it just seemed to me to be an ideal representation of, of, of friendship uh, and of and of a, a jolly good time in a jolly good era. Can I just ask who who you would take? Well, no, I'm, I'm anticipating that. Uh, well, uh, it would have to be men, of course. Uh, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I would take somebody to make me make me laugh. I'd take Billy Billy Connolly. I'd take him because it makes me laugh more than anybody else. And I would take um, who would I take is interesting. What who would I take? I would take. Um, I'd like to have taken a, a poet. I'd like to have taken somebody like Larkin or somebody like that. I'm sure there would have been there'd be terrible company and there'd be awful fights halfway through, but just somebody I really admired that I would want I want to pick their brain. I'd want to be them in a sense, I suppose. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I'd not thought that the one through far enough. Interesting idea. I, I can't be the only one thinking what a TV show that would be. <laughs> Billy Connolly, <laughs> yeah. Michael Parkinson, and yeah. Philip Larkin in the boat. <laughs> yes, I would need a roller to, to help me down. Actually, like, <laughs> I'm not going to do it myself. Well, exactly, and, and you not being able I'll to probably swim. Probably Mary for that. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty ruthless when I'm reading books in that I won't if I, I won't tolerate it if I'm not enjoying it. How long do you give? In terms of pages, how long would you give it before you give up? I used to, that again is an interesting question. I used to be, I used to read remorselessly through any book, thinking I had to, due to the author and all that nonsense. But nowadays I don't have that at all. If I'm halfway through a book and I'm bored by it, it goes. It's gone slow. You know, I just don't bother anymore. And I think that's because, you know, you can't uh, tot up the time like you used to be able to. Well, I've got like, 20 years to read this book. No, you haven't. Not at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> brief, brief whisk of time. So I, I think that's what I do. I think that's why I do it as well. Uh, and I'm quite impatient now with books, quite impatient, because I want to read more than I can accommodate, I'm sure. What is the most enjoyable sports memoir, sporting memoir you've read? Um... Uh, I think the 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 book that I I I makes me laugh most of all is is John Arlott's 
uh, book about Fred Truman. I nearly did that book. I was asked to write that book about Fred because he was my hero. Uh, he was the greatest fastball I ever saw. He was a wonderful character. He was robust and vulgar and all those things, but what an athlete, what a man. And I got to know him very well indeed. And I got to be asked to do his book. And it soon became aware to me that Fred, as I did a book, was to get a tape recorder, hire a room above a boozer in Barnsley, and sit down for a couple of weeks, get absolutely smashed, and just to tell the stories, we had to retell the stories. I didn't see it like that, because I thought he was a much more interesting man than that. So I actually uh, gave the job up. I did, not before I asked him, I said to him, you know, do you have a title for this book? Because it's going to sell well. I said, I've got a title, I've had it all my life. I said, what's the title then, Fred? Definitive title. I said, Fred Truman, definitive volume of best fast bowler that ever drew breath. I said, that's the book. That's not the title, Fred. So we had this argument and we fell out. And I rang John Arlott and I said, John, look, I'm about to jump ship on Fred. I said... <laughs> Would you, I'd love you to write though, because I want to read you and Fred Truman. He said, I'll, I'll do it if I don't have to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> so John went away and wrote this beautiful memoir of Truman. It's what it is. And, and of course, what he brought to Fred was that poet's ability to see beyond what we saw. And I wrote this wonderful book about him. And one uh, of my favorite, it's full of wonderful stories. So that, that would be the, 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 the book that uh, I was glad to get rid of. <laughs> I wasn't actually, I wish I'd done it myself, but I didn't have the time. It was a busy time in my career. But, uh, but uh, I don't think Fred quite, quite understood the part I played in that. But he was just a wonderful character. And it's a wonderful book. And Barlett, of course, was, was an extraordinary man. I mean, a great stylist and. Uh, the Man United, of course, he was due to be on that plane mm. that crashed in, uh, uh, in, in Germany. Okay. And I think of the, the modern sports writers, I think that and Duncan Hamilton is a, is a very good writer, a very good biographer. And he wrote a wonderful account of his life with Brian Clough at Notts, Notts Forest called, called Providing You Don't Kiss Me. It's a lovely title and, and kind of sums up Brian Clough in many, many ways. So I think that's a, 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 not a definitive book, but it's a loving book about, about a, a remarkable man. Brian was a remarkable man, another man destroyed by booze, uh, sadly, uh, but a character and a, and a fabulous player and a wonderful uh, manager and and uh, and properly served by Duncan in that book. I, yeah, that that book, as I remember, it, it won um, Sports Book of the Year. Yeah. I loved it. And it's a great example of a book where you don't need to know anything about no. Brian Clough, Nottingham Forest, football, <laughs> sport, anything <laughs> no, at all exactly. to, to enjoy that book. Yes. Um, so let's talk about um, another sort of genre, which is political memoirs. There are good ones, there are bad ones. Which which is your favourite? I'm so bored with politicians. that I, I rarely had them on the show, you know. The only one that I ever managed to get through, I had to do an interview with uh, Dennis Healy. Uh, when he was, you know, retired and uh, and all that, and uh, and he, I didn't understand quite the life he'd led. He was a beach master at Anzio, and he had an extraordinary war and all that. He was a very good man and and, and an interesting man, and the old star politician that would have sorted Brexit out in two minutes flat, I, I guess, <laughs> I'd like to say. But anyway, but he. Um, he wrote this book, and and we had him on the show. Now I, I don't think Dennis had ever seen the show really at all. He got no idea what what he had to do, so he had to walk on downstairs, turn right, sit down with me, and talk. Right, so he went bumbling down the stairs, and he turned left at the bottom of the stairs, <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up sitting with Laurie Holloway, my piano player, 
Then he said this wonderful line, who's silly Billy, he said. <laughs> Is that where it came from? The Because Mike, Mike Yarwood always used to use that. Used to use that phrase. thing, that's right. Yes, he did say it. He did say an awful lot. Oh, silly Billy. But he was a fascinating man, a fascinating story. But generally speaking, I, 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 I'm not into political memoirs at all. I, th I think it's in that book that Dennis Healy recounts the fact that he used to have a, three letters which he used to exchange with his wife, which was A-W-L, which is Aren't We Lucky? Uh. And he just used to, which he used to say, and they used to say to each other, just think that their life was so rich. Yes. And they'd had such a happy time. Yes. They'd just say, aren't we lucky all the That's time. Right. Well, she was a poet, wasn't she, his wife? She wrote poetry as well. Yeah, they were a very, very extraordinary couple. You, you'd care to think, don't you, or well, maybe nostalgia is overwhelming us, that, you know, they, uh, Healy is the kind of politician we need nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, men have been in a war. You know, that's the thing about them. Men have actually touched an area of life which was frightening, revealing, all that told you an awful lot about yourself. And, you know, I mean, I was lucky when I came into the television. I always think about this now because I had bosses who'd been in the war. Paul Fox had been a, he was in the airborne. Dennis Foreman lost his uh, leg at Anzio. You know, I mean, all that stuff was important because when they came back, A, they had an ambition to change things, a real ambition, and the motivation to, to do it properly. And also, secondly, there were people who were used to actually, in you know, extreme circumstances, looking after people. And that was very, very important. And I felt kind of safe at the BBC in Granada in those days under the leadership of those kind of men. They gave you a kind of feeling that, yeah, what you're doing is important. And you know, what they were doing was important. Uh, when was the last time you used a public library? I can't think. I used to go to the library an awful lot. Uh, Mrs. Carr was a librarian. She once stopped me taking out a book called Women of Rome by Alberto Moravia. Can <laughs> we ask what that book was well, about? I, I'd never found out. <laughs> I mean, she called my mother and my mother came storming down. I think it was about seven at the time. <laughs> Women of Rome, well, she always remember that. Alberto it obviously was quite saucy in some way. Well, yeah, she, she, Mrs. Carr, was the, she was the mentor of, our, of all our desires and, and all that. So <laughs> she, she decided on my behalf. And I didn't have the, the balls to go back there. <laughs> I didn't actually challenge her again later on in life, but I'd gone by that time. And I never bothered to get hold of the book. I must do that. But I'll bet, I don't know why I remember it, but I do. Yeah, I used to love public libraries, but I, I've not, not used them for years and years and years. Is there, is there a book you wish you'd written, be that for financial reasons, be it for professional jealousy, any, <laughs> any reason? Oh, dear. I, I don't know. I mean... I, I wish I'd written so many books. I wish I could write like Graham Greene. I wish I could, I could write like, you know, I, 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 the, the modern authors. I mean, I, I love all of William Boyd's books. I, I love books about films, about movies, about things I love. And uh, a guy wrote, uh, wrote some of the wonderful films but died recently um, was that an American guy, uh, William Goldman, who I knew, I knew through a friend of mine. We, we had the odd lunch together. And he was fascinating about about movies. And he wrote, I love the book, it was called Adventures in the Screen Trade, that's right. Um, and he wrote All the President's Men, you know, Bush Cassidy, The Sundance Kid. But he was a fascinating man. And I wish that I'd have been able to, to write like that, about that life as well. If I wanted to swap my life for anything, it would have been to be been in Hollywood in the time that he was there being able to do what he did, which is to sort of 
make wonderful films, witty and everlasting movies. That's what I'd love to really love to have done. He um, he wrote um he did the screenplay for The Princess Bride. Yes, he did. And there's a line in that which I which I often think of and it's it's almost it's completely throwaway because it's in a bit of banter between the dread pirate roberts and princess buttercup and the dread pirate robert says life is pain highness anyone who tells you different is selling something <laughs> and then it's and then and then there are i was thinking okay that's that mm. that's a great that's a great line which he just <laughs> just throws in there yeah there were films that like butch casting and stuff like that burn themselves on your brain don't they and you, you smile when you think about them it was a great time for making movies, and he made some yeah. wonderful ones. His contributions, his book about Hollywood was, was fascinating, a very interesting book indeed. And all my heroes have been that, you know, from a very early age. I wanted to marry a film star, Lauren Bacall, preferably. I wanted to be Humphrey Bogart, you know, and all those things never happened. <laughs> I love. What, what, I mean, obviously, what everyone who reads the Adventures in the Screen Trade remembers is, is him basically saying nobody knows anything. Yes, Anyone who tells you that right. they know why a movie works, <laughs> yes, absolutely right. nobody knows anything. I mean, the great the great thing about when you read something like Goldman about you get to wonder how on earth any movie was ever made. Absolutely, don't you? I mean, you well, really there's, do. there's the, um, the the sequence that sticks in my mind is Robert Redford playing pool with Mike. Uh, it's Mike Nichols. Um, uh, be, who's about to make The Graduate, and Robert Redford wants the part that Dustin Hoffman would end up missing. Yeah. And Mike Nichols says, I'm going to tell you now why you're not getting that part. And he says, you know that look a girl gives you when she refuses to go home with you? And Robert Redford goes, no. Says, That's the reason why you're not getting the part. That's very good. That's very good. Hey, we're just swapping Hollywood anecdotes yeah. with Michael Parkinson. Exactly, yeah. Precisely. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to have been around at that time, Scott Fitzgerald and all those people, that extraordinary period in Hollywood. It was a kind of creative hub of the universe, wasn't it? As far as we're concerned, film lovers and that sort of thing. You had Granada, Michael. You can't have Hollywood as well. <laughs> Hollywood or Granada, you're going to have to choose. Uh, no, the, the, the other time, I'd love to be able to write songs, never mind you know, write, be a journalist or a writer. I'd, I'd love to be a composer. Um, particularly that period where I grew up, you know, the Great American Songbook and all that. You still got time, Michael. You still got time. I've still got time. You're right. So, I promise I don't have the talent. I do know that. I've lived <laughs> long to know that. I've lived long enough. Uh, Michael Parkinson's uh, book is George Best of Memoir. Michael, thank you very much for your time. It is my pleasure. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.